Welcome to Zestful Aging, where I interview inspiring and fascinating women who talk about their projects as well as their own lives as evolving women. I'm your host, Nicole Christina. And if you like the podcast, you'll love my newly updated companion online course, Zestful Aging, Simple and Sustainable Habits for Health and Longevity. Learn more at NicoleChristina.com. Well, I have my coffee in my hand and my little Jack Russell Sparky right beside me. So let's begin. I am really excited to introduce you to our guest today. We are fortunate to have Dr. Pepper Schwartz, who is a renowned expert on love and relationships. She's an acclaimed author, researcher, television personality, and AARP's love and relationship expert and ambassador. Pepper is a prolific writer, authoring many academic and popular articles, as well as 25 books on the subjects of love, sexuality, and commitment. Two of those books were featured on Oprah. Welcome to the show. Thank you. What a nice introduction. appreciate that. You're welcome. You have really been prolific, and I love the way you... Um, have done both your your scholarly work as well as uh, been consulting to online dating sites, AARP, and you've also been accessible to just the mainstream folk. Well, you know, I get bored pretty easily, and I think everybody else does too, so I don't see why knowledge should be unreadable, and I don't think that means you change it uh, you know, the truth, the findings, but you want to make it in such a way that, you know, people don't put it down. Yes, right. <laughs> I'm, I haven't seen uh, you answer this question, although I'm sure you have before, but I'm curious how love became a subject of interest for you. It's such an interesting question, and I, I think because I'm a romantic, uh, because I read all the stories of true love and you know, loved those soppy teenage books that tell you, you know, does, does uh, you know, the handsome young senior love you or not, you know, in high school. And it just was something that spoke to me personally that, that ruled my emotional life. So I think um, even though when I first started to, uh, in graduate school, I'd actually gone, I thought I was going to be um, studying law and sociology and actually had classes in the law school, um, it, it really wasn't as interesting to me as, as these other things. And then, of course, you know, timing is everything. And I was coming of age in graduate school when the, the women's movement was regenerating. And, of course, then everything in my life became up for analysis as well. You know, why do men treat you this way? You know, are you... Are you the kinds of things that you're reading, or do they read false? And if they read false, how can you counteract them if you don't do the research about them? So it became, to some extent, a personal journey. Not that everything I've studied was about me. Sometimes it was about people whose sexuality um, had been demonized, and 
um, and I could, you know, shed some light on their humanity, um, you know, you, <laughs> you you dig into yourself for for inspiration, but you know, you use sociological methodology for data. <laughs> I see. I see. So it starts. It starts perhaps somewhat personally, and then um, it becomes more complex. And, and and you do the analysis. You know, I found. I don't know if you've seen this, and I'd love to hear your commentary on this. I I sometimes see um, college students in my practice, and I'm struck by how confused and 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 just. Uh, without a map to, you know, what um, a romantic relationship looks like. Is that something you found in your work as well? I wouldn't confine it just to teenagers. Mm-hmm. Okay. I really wouldn't. I think that uh, most people, I don't know if it's most people, but an enormous number of people have no idea what they really want what, what it will really take to be a partner to someone as opposed to a passionate lover. Um, and um, I think in a situation, I think more to the good than not, where there's so much choice in who you will be and how you will conduct your life and, you know, when or if you'll have children and, you know, what kind of uh, balance you want that with your work. And, and what will it mean in terms, what does intimacy really mean? What does it require of you? Um, you know, my parents' generation didn't worry about intimacy. Uh, they, they worried about survival, and they worried about, you know, being ethical people in a difficult world and, you know, various things like that. But, uh, you know, we, we have, as someone else has written about, I think, quite elegantly, um, we ask more and more of relationships while we give them less and less. We're busy. We're following our own careers. You know, we have we have 90-hour work week. We go to school as teenagers, and you do 52 sports, and you <laughs> have very little downtime, and you don't get to know the boy next door and all that. So it's, mm-hmm. you know, you add, we ask more and, and have less less time invested. Is that one of your take-home messages that – it requires uh, more intentionality to be in a in a you know mutually satisfying loving relationship. Absolutely, absolutely. These things do not prosper on automatic pilot. And if you thought you know that uh, getting in bed was the uh, the beginning of the best, um, it's just the beginning of the work. And uh, if you want to do it, of course, a lot of people you know have sex and. And then kind of run. But if you really are trying to put together something <coughs> that will promote you for a lifetime, um, it's going to take a lot out of you. And you bet you better be intentional about what you want to give it. Wow, that's that, that's a really different than I think many people. You know, sort of sort of think well, it's supposed to happen naturally or organically, and. Um, and it, it doesn't really, does it? <laughs> well, I think, um, I think attraction happens organically. Mm-hmm. You see someone across the room and, and there's something there, you know? You don't know why sometimes, but there's something there. And, and that's, 
that's a good beginning. I mean, I think attraction, I think wanting somebody is, is really great. But then the question is, how do you get someone to know you in a way that makes you feel safe and admired? And how do you give them that same thing, even when there are things that are unexpected, things that are disappointing, uh, things that need to be dealt with that aren't as wonderful as that first charge of recognition of mutual interest? Mm-hmm. And it's it's that next stage where um, you really have to ask yourself to be a grown-up, not just, and I mean grown-up in a sense of maturity as opposed to chrono- chronology, because, you know, I know, I know 80-year-olds are grown-ups, <laughs> you know, um, and a grown-up asks that they don't flee, they're not reactive, they can discuss things. They hold their, they, they examine their own part in anything, mm-hmm. and they try to solve problems as opposed to run from them. They try to see if they're solvable, solvable, mm. which is, you know, not all of them are. You know, I'm, I'm not saying that everything is, is um, solved by communication. Um, sometimes there are things you just have to accept because the rest of it's really good. Uh, sometimes there are irreconcilable differences. Mm-hmm. Um, but for many people, I have a feeling that they, not a feeling, I'm sure, from my own experience and research and, and, and work with couples, that they have no idea how to discuss something um, in a way that makes it likely to have a positive resor- uh, result um, for both people, that makes them feel like they've grown together mm-hmm. by learning how to manage that relationship that requires intentionality. It requires a much lower level of reactivity than I see in people. Mm-hmm. Reactivity is, you know, I say, just to the listener here, you know, I say, gee, you know, I wish you wouldn't put your your clothes on the floor. It's just like a neat house. And uh, instead of saying, you know, let me think about that. Why is that important to you? And let's talk about it. The, the reaction is, oh, you think I'm a slob? Well, you're worse than I am. <laughs> Or, you know, or what about what you said to my mother last week? I mean, you know, it's like, it's like they're after the races. Instead of saying, well, you know, is it important to have my clothes put away? And why is it important to her? And, you know, what, what does this mean for us? And, you know, maybe I could consider, you know, hanging up my pants or something. But it's, it's just that we, we have these fragile and reactive nature. And it's very hard to put together a deep, abiding, supportive, and comforting relationship without being able to get past those first reactions and see who we are and who the other person is. And how would we learn? The, I mean, because those tools are so important. You know, I, I, I was thinking both in your partnerships, but also out in the world, you know, and it does seem like those are not really... Um, how shall I say, uh, most reinforced skill set these days? Um, you know, how do how do we even learn about that and say I need to get better at being non-reactive? How does that come about? Do do you do you think people uh, some of them are fortunate enough to see them uh, that kind of interaction with their parents or? You, 
how do you how do you do that if you aren't really like a, a psychotherapist or a sociologist? <laughs> well, I think you know the first way I would say you do it is you look at how your life is going and you say to yourself, "Is it going the way I want it to?" Mm. You know, is this? Do I feel good about? The relationships I have, do I feel like I gave them everything and, you know, if they didn't turn out, I, I behaved, you know, in my best self? Have I found someone to love that I feel is worthy for me? Do you, does, do I, you know, even if a relationship didn't last, was it with the right kind of person? And, you know, did that blow up? Am I proud of the way that blow up happened or how I acted afterwards or during it? If you, if you don't have positive answers to all that... You know, I go to the, if it isn't broke, don't fix it. And mm -hmm. if you know it's broke, why continue it? Mm -hmm. You know, so saying, okay, maybe I, when I asked all those questions of myself, I don't have the partner I want. I don't really like the way I reacted there. It didn't solve the problem. I'm angry and I'm scared that the relationship isn't going to be what I want. And I'm not having a good time here, and it looks like the same old thing's going to happen. And if I said, if I feel that way, then that to me is the time for a creative revision. Mm. <laughs> like, you know, okay, it is not working. What could I do differently? Mm-hmm. That's, yeah. And what about as we age? Um, what are the other things we should be thinking about as our kids may be launching, as, you know, people will say, all of a sudden I looked across the table and I thought, wow, here we are, <laughs> and no distraction of, you know, do I take my kid to football, do I have to do this, do I have to do the play, you know, no, we're just sitting here because um, the children are launched and it's awfully quiet. Um, what, what, what about that scenario where people, you know, the big shift, the big transition, middle age and beyond, what, what are your thoughts about love in that phase of life? That's a great question because I feel that we're all, we're always organic. We're always changing. We're always someone different than we were, even if we're partly the same. Um, we're, we, you know, why wouldn't we be? Our bodies aren't exactly the same. Our, our, the way people see us and treat us in the world isn't the same. We start to reevaluate, or if we don't reevaluate what we're doing, we, we find it more precious and, and perhaps different than it was. Maybe we've been doing it a long time and it's not as exciting to us. I mean, in a million ways, we're not exactly as we were. So trying to have a relationship exactly as it was isn't particularly a wonderful concept. Mm -hmm. And so I think the idea is, you know, basically to understand that we, we seem to be an animal that really likes um, new things. I mean, why buy a new blouse when we have enough blouses? You know, mm. why buy a new car when the old one still works? We, we do these things because we like new. <laughs> you mm -hmm. know, we do. So the idea being, well, how do you make this relationship continually new? And there, there are very easy ways to do it. I think you say that to people and they go, oh, my God, she knows me so well. I know him so well. How are we going to make it new? You learn a new thing together. You take a new trip. You make love in a new room. You consider some things you've never considered before. 
Um, you give each other more space. You give each other less space. I mean, whatever it is, there's there's a lot to be to be done and to to be tinkered with. And if you're quiet, it's because you have nothing new to talk about. You know, <laughs> when you were, you know, you would bring some. Oh my God, this new person in the office, or oh, you know, I I just had this spat with uh, the person I work with, or um, I don't really like my job. I you know, I don't like this house. I mean, whatever it was. You know, you you were doing things and bringing them home. Well, if you if you entered into a situation where you you actually don't have much new that's interesting to talk about, that should be a clue. <laughs> oh. Like time to have things that are fun or challenging or interesting that are worth discussing. Oh, oh, I love that. Do you want to give us some examples that we may not? have already thought of, you know, the fun and challenging. What are examples from your work or even your life that you want to uh, talk to us about? Well, I mean, I would first generally, then I'll say, you know, my own approach to this, but in general, for example, you take a class together. Mm-hmm. You, you know, on World War II, you don't know anything, you know, you, 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 it's interesting to you, but you don't really know much about it, or you you take a film school class where you, um, you know, learn about filmmaking and you discuss films and, you know, treat them like, you know, art and worth of discussion, or you decide to take your dogs and show them and do agility training, <laughs> or you, you know, I mean, you know, the, whatever, whatever is something that would be fun. I mean, it's interesting. I have a a, a, a close uh, woman friend who um, retired from being head of gynecology and obstetrics at a, at a big hospital, and what she did is something she really always wanted to do. She she um, went to the Humane Society and she gets dogs in shape for adaptability. <laughs> She's a foster mom, a foster. Yeah. Fo- wow. She is. She is, but and and you know maybe she couldn't have done that when she was a big shot doctor, but she doesn't care about being a big shot doctor anymore, you know. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's one of the things as you get into middle age and you start to have some choices, it's not all about the kids anymore. Um, get out of get out of the slots that your parents told you you had to be in, or that you told you had to be in, and then. You know, experiment and and see what's what's fun and intriguing. It's but you do have to have something new to talk about. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, you know? that makes so much sense. It makes so much sense. Do you think that there are misconceptions about uh, loving partnerships as an older person? I think there's plenty of misconceptions. Um, I think. People think they're supposed to be easier than they are. I mean, you know, why should, you know, there's so many happily ever after stories, and you think, oh, my gosh, 20 years together, you know, that you'll you'll be like a comfortable old shoe. But, um, you know, you can be until you aren't, you know. Um, so I don't, think, I don't think you can ever be in this situation where you stop putting something in. You know, you stop using the best of you. You stop being innovative or energetic and in uh, service of the relationship, and I mean, not stop ever. I I have a friend of mine who just turned 90, and she had a a 40-year marriage that she thought was great. Um, Her husband died, and of course, that was a grave 
sadness for her. Uh, a couple of years later, she decided, well, I want to start dating. Um, and she did. She went online. She learned how to, to you know, look for some, some companionship. She felt she found somebody. Um, and she found a couple people. Um, but she found him at, I think, I think she was not quite 80 when that happened. Um, and she's been with him for the last 10 years. And she said to me, you know, I love my ex-husband very much, but I've never been in love like this. Wow. And, you know, she, they're both quite wonderful. He's an ex-person uh, pretty high up in a very large firm when he was still working. Of course, he doesn't work anymore. And she did something very um, ambitious um, in, in in her own area of education. And um, the, the thing was that, you know, they they didn't try and um, reestablish exactly who they'd been. They, they just went for somebody who was really intriguing and fun to be with. And, and the other mythism, <laughs> just telling on her a little bit, making sure I don't identify her too well. Um, I had these people at a party and I have a, another friend who has no shame. And she was talking to this woman. She said, well, do you and this guy have sex? <laughs> Mm. And and my friend looked at her and said, "Of course." <laughs> uh-huh. So I mean, I think a lot of the uh, myths are that you know somehow you it's going to be less passionate, somehow it's going to be less sensual or sexual. It might be different, but it doesn't have to be less. I mean, somehow you wouldn't have as much fun as you're older. Somehow you couldn't try new things when you're a good deal older. I mean, we are so self-limiting in ways that just don't really make sense for us or anybody else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I, I can see that. I remember reading an article a long time ago about you, um, and I think it was when you were starting to get involved in some of the uh, consulting for online dating, and correct me if mm-hmm. I don't have the facts, I might have been in the Atlantic, um, but you talked yeah, about, it was. okay, it was, that was a while back. I remember yeah. you talking about big values and how you, you're thoughtful about choosing a mate. In other words, someone may not have the same hobbies, but they have the same sort of basic values as you do. Is that, am I remembering correctly, that kind of equation that you talked about? Well, I, I don't exactly remember what I talked about, but that does sound like me. So <laughs> I do think it's a matter of values rather than um, exact uh, hobbies. Um, my husband, who actually we just got married last year, but we've been together for 12 years. Um, he's, you know, he's an exercise fanatic. He's a black diamond skier. He does, um, he skulls in the morning and he... Um, does windsurfing oh, and he plays soccer. You know, I mean, he's, he just goes to the gym. I mean, it's like a really big part of his life. It is not that big a part of my life. Mm. I, I'm glad that he kind of gets me out and about more than I would just because it's good for me and I do enjoy it when I do it. But I'm not driven internally the way he is. Um, you know, I mean, it's a big part of him, but it's not important in our lives in terms of how the two of us get along. I mean, you know, I certainly empower him or he would empower me to do the things that we we enjoy doing. I mean, that, you know, 
don't get in anybody's way. But we don't have to do all those things together to be a good relationship. What we have to do is, you know, discuss the world in ways that we find sympathetic. Um, in our, our case, having similar politics is important. Um, we both like to travel. So, you know, mm -hmm. we do that some of the time. We learn to tolerate the things about each other that are very different and not particularly, um, you know, um, you know, I wouldn't order it that way. Mm. But, you know, I say, you know, people are in a smorgasbord. You don't get to like pictures <laughs> and that, you know. Yeah. Well, the underlying theme seems to be, you know, there, if, if you want this to be loving and good, you got to show up. You've got to show up and do more than just show up. You've got to show up with, with game on for the whole deal, not just like when you're falling in love or being attracted or having sex for the first time. You have to show up and bring your mind and your imagination and your patience and your tolerance and your um, ability to feel joy and your excitement and all those things that make life worthwhile. And, and we can get lazy, we can get tired, we can get nasty, we can get petty. I mean, we're human beings after all we're not we're not perfect but but we should know what it is we're striving to be and we should do the best we can mm -hmm. yeah yeah also I was thinking as you were listing the things that are important is is acceptance you know that uh, all in all this is a good person I don't particularly love this this and that but acceptance and maybe there's some self-acceptance in that as well yeah, I think there should be. I mean, <laughs> some of these things are very typical. Yes, you want some self-acceptance. There are things you cannot choose. I'm small. I'm never going to be tall. I better, get, <laughs> I better kind of accept that, you know? Mm -hmm. um, there are things you cannot change. But, you know, for example, let's say you may never be, to use my um, details of what I was just saying about my husband, um, I may never be a jock that has five sports a day, but I could ask myself, should I get off my butt a little more than I do? And the answer is absolutely. So, you know, okay, let's develop that part of yourself more. Um, I hate the sentence. The sentence I hate most in the world is, that's just the way I am. Mm. I hate it. I hate it in anybody at any time because it, it means like we're some kind of you know, signed, sealed, delivered, closed box. And, and that's just not a good way to look at the world. It's not a way to grow. It's not a way to maybe enjoy things. And it's not even um, a good route to acceptance because there's, you know, we will require for us to be loved. Somebody's going to have to accept parts of us that aren't lovely. And for us to love someone else, we're going to have to do the same. Mm -hmm. But part of what we admire in somebody is if they do grow, at least in some ways, not always, but some ways. And you cannot grow if you have a, that's just the way I am kind of mentality. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What is the, um, where do you think that you have been most influential in your work and teaching people how to be in relationships? You've done so many things. You've written you've you know you've been an ambassador you've done all these kind of things was there and I know you've been on television or is there a particular role that you have or you've had that you you think really 
helps people understand what's required? Well, this is a tough question. I, I think um, it's more of a, a general positive outlook to who you could be and how much better your relationship could be and um, that you can still be a sexual being even if you stop that for a long time mm. and that you are you are better and stronger and more able than you think you are in relationships and in yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, okay. Do you want to give us a couple strategies for couples from one of your latest books? Well, um, I think, how much time have we got? <laughs> <laughs> you, you're in charge here. Well, I think, um, I, th I think for one thing, we could just start out with, you know, avoid snarky comments. Mm. Um, you know, these sort of drive-by shots that people <laughs> <laughs> do each other. You know, gee, um, that's that's a nice color on you, not like the black you usually wear, right? I'm thinking about John Gottman's work, and I'm sure you're very familiar with that. But sure. that that whole disdain, you know, uh, disrespectful eye rolling thing is not a real. Uh, that's not gonna get you too far. And the, no, but the one that I'm mentioning is the one that really I think is so common. You give a compliment. And then you modify the second clause so it doesn't feel like a compliment. Mm. You know, you really handled that well. But, um, and I was surprised. And then they don't understand why the person didn't like the compliment. <laughs> okay. So there's, that's what I mean by snarky things. They're things that have, you know, kind of a, a little sting in them. And they say, oh, I'm being playful, or this or that. But, no, I mean that. Well, pretty vulnerable, and I think you have to really be be um, uh, careful of that. A, a couple things I think are really important. I don't think you can give too much affection. As mm. long as you're with somebody who does care about you, you I can't tell you how stingy most people are about that, whether it's kissing hello or holding hands in the theater or saying, you know, I just love looking at you um, or how handsome you look tonight or I think you were the prettiest you know, person at the dinner party or whatever it is, mm -hmm. you know, we all need it. And we, we are bottomless pits. And if you think, well, <laughs> you know, like the joke, well, why should I have to tell her I loved her? I did it once. Isn't that enough? <laughs> the answer is no, it isn't. Uh -huh. <laughs> it isn't. So I think a lot of affection is really important. And I do think um, looking for ways to show your partner you have their back. Mm. That repairs a lot. For example, and there's little ways that I think people could do it they don't think of. You're at a dinner party. Your partner is just not as uh, articulate, let's say, as you are or as outgoing. Um, and so they're being very quiet. And you just turn the discussion to them, you know, like saying, you know, John has um, a really a lot of experience with that. The other day I saw him you know, fix something that I was going to, that I'd already, you know, put in a corner to throw away, and he's just got such a great mechanical mind. How do you know these things can be fixed, honey? You know, mm -hmm. throw the ball at him, include him, 
show their expertise, show something that's respectful and interesting, help each other out. Mm-hmm. I remember talking to my doctor many years ago, and we were talking about her very long, it was her anniversary, and, it, you know, she was married for a number of years, and she said, people ask me what my secret is, but basically my secret is we're nice to each other. And I thought mm -hmm. that that was very sweet, yeah. Well, you know, and the other thing in one of her books I say is, you know, mind your manners. Part of being nice is saying thank you and please, mm -hmm. and that was kind of you. Um, excuse me, but could I, could I say something? I mean, all of those things we tell our kids to do, and then we don't do them with each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just because you're married to somebody doesn't mean they don't need all of that. That is that is a recognition of the other person's dignity. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's these little interactional things. It's these things that show affection, show appreciation, recognition, mm -hmm. taking care of them. Um, those, those are the things that add up. I mean, a trip to Paris isn't bad either, mind you, but yeah. <laughs> but you can't do that as much. And and by the way, the trip to Paris won't be nice if the every day hasn't been nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. That's that's really important, I think. Um, I, I agree with you. The, the idea that when the doors close, we can, you know, just treat each other very, you know, that whole familiar and, you know, oh, I don't have to be polite to you because I have to be so polite to everyone at the office it just doesn't cut it no it doesn't and that, and that goes with physical things too you know if you were going on a date you know would you you know brush your hair well did you brush your hair for the day at home on Sunday did you put on the makeup for your friend for your guy um except or do you only do that when you go out I mean, in other words, I think somebody needs to know, I think men in particular needs to know that you like to look nice because it's for them. And mm -hmm. I think women are like that too. Like you wear something really nice and you think you look particularly nice. There's not a word about it. <laughs> you, know, mm -hmm. you know, he says, you know, she knows I, I think she looks nice. No, she doesn't. Mm -hmm. Yeah, really basic caring for. Yes. Yeah. You get the basics down, then the other things are, you know, as important, really. It's it's that feeling of uh, trust, it's safe, and, and you know, apologies, and, and, and also what apologies won't do. I mean, you know, we only can do something so much, and then the apology doesn't go there. So maybe sometimes it means like, okay, if I'm losing my temper too much, and I've apologized one too many times, Maybe it's time for counseling, etc. I'm a big, I'm a big believer in, in sometimes carting yourself off to a third party if you can't afford a counselor, then a close friend who will give you some really good advice and be honest with you. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if um, I know this couple where um, she would forget everything and then say it didn't happen, and you know she didn't take it from him, but one of her girlfriend said um you know that you do that to me too mm -hmm. and she she was like oh really she was wasn't prepared to believe it she thought it was some sort of you know kind of uh, tactic 
on her husband's part to, um, you know, control her. But it wasn't true. She she just forgets very conveniently the stuff that she doesn't want to remember. And so they had to work out something where she writes it down. They literally wrote contracts on things that were important. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I promised to do this. This is what we said we'd do. Uh, we said we do it on this date. We both sign it. Okay. So at least you get to then take responsibility if it didn't work out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Practical. This is this is another one of these really big questions. So, um, you know, <laughs> do with it what you wish. But sure. I'm wondering about quality of life and uh, people who lose their, you know, spouses um, in middle age and beyond. And do you ha- have any thoughts about whether life can be as rich and fulfilling when you are not partnered as you age? I think it can, but it takes work. Mm-hmm. First of all, you have to be an agent in your own behalf. You have to call up girlfriends and say, you know, look at I have tickets for, you know, I have football tickets that uh, John and I always went to. I'd love for you to be my football partner because I know you like football too. And she says, sure, I'll do that with you. And and now you've got one. But you can't wait or just think, oh, I can't go to football anymore because that's something John and I did. Mm -hmm. Um, You've got to be out there creating adventures and relationships and opportunities. Um, And then being single can be absolutely as much fun as being with a partner. In fact, it can sometimes be more fun because – some people are very much held down by their partner who won't travel or won't do the, you know, go to the National Geographic lectures or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So you can, if you make sure that you do the things you love um, and you make sure that you find someone to do with. And if you don't have anyone like that, there's always these clubs, these meetup events, mm-hmm. you know, these, these, these groups that are built around like opera lovers or whatever. And, mm-hmm. you know, maybe all your friends hate opera, but you love it. Mm-hmm. And so you go and join the group. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because close friendships are truly wonderful things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I have several good friends and we tell each other we love each other all the time. And it mm-hmm. makes, it's, it's wonderful because mm-hmm. we do love each other. It's, a, you know, not a, a sexual love, but it's a deep and profound love of that other person and what they mean to you and how they enrich your life. And look at that's that's one of those special things that no one needs to go without, but they have to put themselves out there. Mm-hmm. It does take some courage. It does, but you know, if you look at the alternative, alone watching the same TV program every night, you know, mm-hmm. that's not so great. But I think I think one of the things people have to realize is. Almost everybody could use another person in their life. You know, I mean, people like people, um, and they all find it difficult to reach out. We're all shy in a certain kind of way. That's why some of these groups and meetups and, um, you know, volunteering at something or being involved in the political race, whatever it is, they're a way to be in interesting environments without, you know, having to tell your life story to somebody you just going to do things with people and then over time you get to know somebody and and then they do become more intimate and caring relationships Mm -hmm. yeah i mean your example of your friend who's the foster 
mom for dogs, I find that, you know, going to the dog park is such an easy way to meet people. There's no pressure and it's just uh, it's a very natural way to introduce yourself and chat. Yeah, and there's, there's all kinds of things like that. There was a, another friend of mine who retired from a big deal job, and his his um, passion was architecture, and he does free tour, free architecture tours in New York, mm-hmm. where he meets people who, you know, obviously care about architecture, too, because they signed up for the tour, and he's really, you know, has made several friends out of, you know, being uh, involved in something that he just loves to talk about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great that's a great story. So, what what's next for you? Oh, any new projects you're working on that you want to tell us a little bit about? Well, a couple things. Um, you know, I've been doing this TV show for the last four years, which is unusual. I didn't expect to be doing that. Called Married at First Sight, where we arrange marriages. It's on Lifetime Television, and um, and I think we're going to write a book about it because we've learned so much, my colleagues and I. Mm. Um, so that that seems to be something that might happen. Um, I've been doing a few startups with with people. I've been working on something called Roman at GetRoman.com, which is a, a men's health site where you can get um, um, a physician to help you figure out whether you need Cialis or Levitra or Viagra. And, uh-huh. um, have uh, have that delivered to your door, but you know. Um, I think it's great, you know, because that's been so stigmatized, and there are many men who need that help who who don't do it. So, Get Roman has a 26 year old CEO who who he talks he talks about quite frankly that he had heart problems as a young man and had to take the heart medications that that made him um, on and off again um, uh, impotent, and so he wants to reach out to other people, young men as well as older ones who have these issues but don't do anything because they're so embarrassed about it um i i love this you know let's build a barn world we're in i have a, another friend who's creating something called pulse which is a um machine that warms lubricant and so it's very and it's very hygienic comes in a little pod so if you use it for for sex it's really warm and nice and you don't have some cruddy little top of a bottle to use and um <laughs> And I think she's going to, you know, license it to gynecologists, you know, which would be really nice to have warm exams rather than cold steel. Um, I, I just think there's so many things in the world that are good ideas. And, you know, whether or not they they come to fruition or whether or not they, you know, become the next Facebook is less important than how much fun it is to bring something worthwhile to the public and see what happens. Well, you're following your own advice. You're doing things that are fun and probably a little challenging. Absolutely. I, I really like being on a curve where I'm learning, and I'm not a professional at I'm learning how to do it because, you know, it's exciting to, to, to figure out, you know, how to, how to get a message across about something I don't normally talk about, you know, how to, how to, build a gizmo and make it, you know, out there to the world. Um, yeah, I think I think one wants to be a part of the moment of history one is in. Mm-hmm. This is one for entrepreneurship. It's one that has uh, got a lot of technology in it. It's one with mass communication and reconfigure, reconfiguring networks. Um, it's available. All you have to do is kind of step inside and see what's going on. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, 
where is the best place for our listeners to find you? It sounds like there's many, many places, but is there a particular one you'd like to to uh, tell us? Well, there is a drpepperschwartz.com. Okay. They can, you know, send messages from there. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually have a place called placesforpassion.com. We wrote a romantic uh, travel book, and so uh, places for passion if they want to know something about you know, creating romantic environments. Uh, they can definitely uh, find me at marriedatfirstsight.com, but drpepperschwartz.com, I think, is 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 the best. Um, and, um, you know, I, I definitely respond to people when I can. Mm-hmm. Yes, I think that's how I found you. Uh, well, actually, also through uh, Stephen Loring but um, oh. and his documentary, uh, it's a wonderful love. documentary. It really is. It really is. I so appreciate you sharing all of your experience and wisdom and giving some tips to our listeners about how to have partnerships that feel more rich and um, uh, positive and, and mutual and satisfying. I think it's a really important topic. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I I appreciate you uh, giving a moment um, to thinking about this as sort of lifelong learning and lifelong relationships and getting older and and seeing lots of good stuff within that. You know, getting older is uh, challenging, but but it doesn't have to be boring or lonely. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Zestful Aging. If you like the podcast, please pass it along to a few of your friends. And I love to hear from my listeners. Drop me a line at NicoleChristina.com. See you next time on Zestful Aging.